Would you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1? Where I want to land is Hebrews 12, but I want to pray this prayer together and look at the words of the Apostle Paul writing as a spiritual father to the church in Ephesus. We're going to begin in Ephesians 1, verse 18. And while you turn to Ephesians 1, and then we'll jump to Hebrews 12, I want to read you a quote from Francis Frangipan. What if the Holy Spirit desired to actually manifest himself during our worship service? Would the Lord have to wait until we finished our scheduled programs? I respect and recognize the need for order. We need times for announcements and the predefined purposes that typically occupy Sunday mornings. These things are legitimate, but have we made room for God himself? Thank you. Ephesians 1, verse 18. Read with me. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above, would you say far above? Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under Jesus' feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Pray with me. If you don't know what to pray, you can pray scripture. God, we ask that you would enlighten the eyes of our heart right now, that we would know the hope of your calling. God, I pray that despair would go in Jesus' name and that hope. Lord, fresh hope, even as we ask for faith, we ask for hope this morning, Lord. Hope to believe. Father, we ask that fear would go in the name of Jesus. That fear would break off of our lives, off of our vision, off of our calling, off of our finances in Jesus' name. That you would release, Lord, hope, hope of your calling. That we would know that your power is aimed toward us who believe. Jesus, we worship you as the one who's seated at the Father's right hand. Far above, far above. We worship the one who is far above. Would you grant us a revelation of Jesus Christ right now? Lord, we want to see you. Father, I pray this morning for an Isaiah encounter that he saw the Lord of hosts, that he saw the train of your robe filling the temple and he said woe is me for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the king Lord let our eyes see the king of glory right now would you open up our eyes our spiritual eyes to see you Jesus 
Father, we pray that blindness would go, that distraction would go. We clear it out in Jesus' name and we fix our eyes on the Lord of glory who's ruling and reigning far above far above. I thank you, Lord, that you're far above our problems. You're far above our sin. You're far above it all. And we worship you, Jesus. You're raised from the dead. <laughs> Lord, let resurrection power flow right now. Resurrection power, resurrection life in Jesus' name. I'm just stuck on this phrase here the hope of his calling if you feel called everyone's called but if you specifically feel called to ministry, to fivefold ministry, and you recognize that there's fear, that there's despair that is trying to quench your faith, I want to ask you to stand right now. If there's anyone here this morning called to fivefold ministry, called to equip the saints for the work of service, and there's fear. Look at all these women. God bless you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father, that you're raising up female voices in the earth. Lord, even as abortion is raging in the war, Lord, we need women to rise up and declare that the womb is sacred to the Lord. Anyone else? There's fear that's been gripping your call. Despair that's been gripping you. I just believe I'm going to stand with you because I've warred it. I've warred against it my whole life. I want to give you two things. Number one is that Dan Allender defines shame as the fear of being exposed. I believe there's shame that has been sown into the hearts of those of you who are standing. That the enemy has tried to silence you from shame. And shame is the fear of being exposed. The second thing is that you must define obedience as listening to the voice of the Lord. Yes, I feel like some of you, you're in obedience to Scripture. Your life is not full of lust or pride or greed to the extent that you're grieving or quenching the Holy Spirit. You're not living a sexually immoral or covetous idolatry lifestyle. But there's a lack of obedience in your life to do what God is asking you to do. And the Lord would charge you this day to be obedient to what I have commissioned you to do. Not functioning is not an option. The body suffers when those who are called to step forward fall behind. Father, I pray for all of those who have stood right now, Lord, and I stand with them. And we ask you, Lord, that fear would break off in Jesus' name. 
We pray, God, for faith to step out and to step forward, that we would know the hope of your calling, Lord. I thank you, Father, for apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers who are being awakened right now, who are being stirred right now, who are receiving, Lord, a fresh call, who are receiving a fresh stirring to minister and to function in the house of the Lord. I feel like for some of you, there's an obvious promotion and open door in front of you. And you're trying to hide and the Lord would in his love correct you and rebuke you this morning. And say, do not spurn my faith. to those of you that have stood, can I encourage you with something? The only person that needs to recognize the ministry on your life is the Lord himself. Did you take that to heart? The only person that needs to recognize the ministry is if he gave it to you, he knows about it. Is that too simple for us this morning? Proverbs 18.16 says that a person's gift makes room for them. Your gift will make room for them. You just be faithful and obedient and humble, and God will open all the right doors. Lest you end up ministering in a capacity that God didn't authorize you to. Did you know that you can preach to people that God's not called you to preach to? And you can fail to preach to people that God's called you to preach to? Where my Jones at? <laughs> Let's go to Hebrews 12. So where is Jesus right now? Somebody tell me. We just read it. Where's Jesus right now? <laughs> Far above, seated at the right hand of the Father. Psalm 2 says that the nations are plotting against God and his Christ and he who sits in the heavens. God thinks that the schemes of evil men are funny. He's so unintimidated and so unmoved even by the filthiest of wickedness. He's ruling and reigning. He's far above all that. Is that good news this morning? And that just postures my heart in a place of peace before the Lord. Thank you, God. You're worshiping the Jesus. We're coming into alignment and agreement with this Jesus who sent his Holy Spirit to guide us into all the truth and remind us of his words, seated at the right hand of the Father. Do you know where Buddha is? Do you know where Muhammad is? Do you know where Confucius is? Do you know where the rest of them fools are? Dead. And they're in hell, by the way. For exalting themselves and preaching another gospel. Jesus, our Jesus, our blessed Savior, the Good Shepherd is seated at the Father's right hand. I encourage us. 
I feel like the Lord is healing some anxiety right now in this room. Some of us have been trying to rule and reign far above all this stuff, and we need to let Jesus be Jesus and you just be you. I heard somebody preach one time and it stuck me right between the eyeballs. They said, Anxiety is your attempt to be God. Somebody said, Ouch. Uh, I've got an anxiety disorder. Is that a spiritual problem? Is depression spiritual in nature? Let's have a moment of honesty. Is anxiety spiritual in nature? Did Jesus teach on these things? Did Jesus address us as a people and encourage us to fix our eyes on him? Did he say to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and the rest of these things will be added to you? Perhaps we're so afflicted with worry and fear and anxiety and depression and all of these emotional ailments because we're obsessed with these things rather than the kingdom of God. We've not had a lot, but can I tell you something? We've never lacked for anything. I've never met a person in my entire life that went broke by giving to the Lord. I've met some people that tried to manipulate God through their giving when their lifestyle wasn't pleasing to him. The offering's not where you get right with God, amen? It's in the prayer room where you can write with the Father, where you connect with Him. I feel like the Lord is dealing with the rebellion and the stubbornness in our hearts as a people. God is raising up a willing and a humble people who are teachable, who are willing to yield to Him. Remember, if you worship God with your lips and not your lifestyle, you are in. What pleases the Lord is a life that's surrendered to him. God, you have my sexuality. Your word commands what I can and cannot do with my body. Amen. God, you have my money. Your word commands what I can and cannot do with the finances you've given me. Amen. God, your word commands me about relationships that I'm to love, to forgive to honor, to serve. So there are things I can and I cannot do because of his word. Amen? This is biblical Christianity. This is growing wildly unpopular. And here's the Lord, unintimidated, unafraid, and unmoved. If every single living person in the earth became an atheist, God would remain the same. I had a dream seven years ago, and in it the Lord spoke to me and said, One subtle attitude of pride in the human heart is the thought God needs me. And the Lord began to minister to me, Paul, I don't need you. I go, oh, that kind of hurts. No, we need to get a right relationship with God. God doesn't need us, but he wants us. And when we think that God needs us to do something, how many offerings have you heard in your life, hey, God needs you to give? God doesn't need you to give. 
God is capable and able. No, God wants something for us as his people. That if you're an orphan, you look at the commands of the word of God and you think, oh, God wants something from me. Notice about what the Father wants for my life. So you look at, let's take sexual sin, for example. And you cannot do certain things and we go, oh, the Lord wants to take my fun away. No, I trust that God is a good father and that he knows that I'll damage myself through perversion and compromise. So I need to keep my life right before him because this is my father loving me and showing me where the line is and saying, don't put your hand on a hot stove. So when Jesus commands us to give as unto the Lord and to give cheerfully in those commands in Scripture, it's really so that I don't wrap my heart around my money. So that my money doesn't become my God and my source of security and strength. So that I don't have to lead my own life and do my own thing my own way. I can just let Jesus be Jesus, the Lord of Lords. There's a peace that comes. There's a rest that comes. There's a true tranquility that happens when we submit and we surrender to the Lord fully. I said it a few weeks ago. I'll say it again. The most miserable Christians I've ever witnessed are those who know the truth enough to feel bad about their sin, but not enough to truly repent and be transformed. So you're stuck in a cycle of habitual sin that you can't break out of because the fear of the Lord and real repentance has not touched your life. That is a horrible way to live. When there's freedom and liberty and healing that awaits us, it's incredible. Jesus shows up and asks someone who is crippled, do you want to be healed? What an absurd question. But God would say to every single one of us in our lives, in our dysfunction, do you want to be healed? I feel like the Lord's dropping this in my spirit when he read it to you. Tristan calls me the cold master. I just like to read. This is Graham Cook. There is a difference between change and transformation. Change can seem a temporary alteration of behavior during a particular season. It could be that people drive their carnal behavior underground when confronted and then return to it when the heat is off. Transformation occurs by the action of God's grace on truth when we allow the Father to touch our innermost place and we surrender life at that point. It is possible to have great truth, but ruin it with poor grace. People then feel browbeaten by the truth, rather than seeing the beauty of what the Father is offering us in Christ. The truth shall set you free. Listen, we've got to decide as a body whether we're going to do it God's way or our way. Whether we're going to be fully submitted and fully surrendered and give the Lord what He's desired. You guys know our heart that from the very beginning we would rather burn with 10 or 20 than be lukewarm with hundreds and get spewed out of the mouth of Jesus. 
I don't want to be vomited out of Christ's mouth because I made permission or allowance for sin in my life. I wish that you hated the devil the way that I do. That's a bold statement, but I'm serious. I wish that you hated the devil the way that I do and hated sin because it's benefited me and profited me in my spiritual life far beyond I could ever explain to you. A love for Jesus, a devotion to him, and a hatred for sin that does not allow me to play games with God. That will not allow me to mess with the fire. Oh, how close can I get if ask all the wrong questions? When a heart that fears the Lord says, how far away can I get from wickedness and sin and idolatry and perversion and you name it? I believe that in a response that the Lord is going to release great glory that we will submit and follow him where he's leading. But it's going to require a pruning because that's what's happening right now. All across the earth, and yes here, there's a holy pruning that's happening where Jesus is coming. He's the vine, the Father's the vine dresser, and the Father is coming to prune off all the areas within us that do not bear fruit. Many of us have fruitless prayer lives. The best thing that God can do is begin to expose that and convict us. You should pray until you feel his presence. Pray until you feel his presence, whether that takes five seconds or 50 minutes. Pray until you feel his presence and you get a word and you get clarity and you begin to have an exchange of life. You know what I'm talking about, hopefully. Part of shedding our religious garment is doing things because we have to and doing things because we want to, because we get to, because we feel a sense of opportunity and privilege and delight that it is life's greatest honor to be called a son and daughter to God the Father. I have no higher honor, no higher calling. There's nothing that man could praise me or offer me that would move me out of a place of feeling highly honored to be a son to God the Father. Where I work doesn't change that. How I make money can't touch that. Who my friends are can't touch that. What the status of my 401k or stock exchange, all that stuff can't be moved by my sonship to the Lord. Amen. Again, there's a place of peace. There's a place of security. There's a place of rest that God offers us when we're submitted and surrendered to him. Some of you know that I used to be a supervisor at a social work company. And part of my job was training people to go out and do home-based therapy in different houses with families who were separated by the state due to abuse, addiction, neglect. And I would take the training manual. How many of you know this is our training manual? And I would take the training manual as a demonstration. And while I was teaching this class, I would tell them, look, if you stay within this training manual, you are under the coverage of what we've supplied you. But while you're with your clients, if you step out from underneath the manual, I can't do anything to help you and you're going to lose your job. 
So if you want to stay under the manual and you want to stay according to the word, how can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word, O Lord. So I stay under the manual. I stay under. And here's the blessing. Here's the favor. Here's God pouring out his grace and opening doors of privilege and opportunity. But when I step out and I try to do my own thing, my own way, God actually begins to oppose us. Because that's pride. See, we worship a God where all oh, he's for me all the time. I'm like, not my father. My father says, Paul, that was a really foolish idea. That was a wicked thought and you need to repent. My father fathers me through my life and calls me higher to the bar of Christ-likeness all the time. So if we're serious about Christ's likeness, then we welcome the truth and we love the truth because we're not after change. We're desiring real transformation. Are you with me this morning? So let's go to Hebrews 12. And then I believe the Lord is inviting us just to lift our eyes and set our gaze on him through worship. Hebrews 12. We're just going to read the first three verses. And then we're going to worship and get in the Holy Spirit once again. And I really want to encourage you to step out, to function, to pray, to prophesy. We are not here to attend. Amen. We're not here to spectate. God has called us to participate with him. Hebrews 12 verse 1. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Does the word of God talk about burnout? Is that a thing that Jesus addressed burnout? What is this thing in the spirit-filled church where we say the grace lifted? I'm all for God giving you a new assignment, but we start to blame the Lord for our lack of endurance and our lack of perseverance. talking to you in love now. So because you don't feel like it, you get to quit your assignment. Because things didn't work out how you thought they would, you get to what? Just move on. And the American church is plagued by hirelings. Pastors taking jobs as an occupation and then when things don't work out, they just move to another church and we wonder why the body is so sick. So if we're to run the race that's set before us with endurance, see the word of God says, do not grow weary in doing good. So wouldn't burnout really be the confession that I lost faith and I stopped sowing to the spirit and I started sowing to the flesh? Good. Good. We are not following our feelings. 
We are not following our feelings. We are following the truth who is Jesus Christ. So if God calls you and he positions you in your life, he will grace you and sustain you by his strength to fulfill what he's asked you to do. In other words, when you're in partnership with him, quitting is never an option. God calls us to endure and to persevere, to run the race with endurance. If you want to have a huge conference and a ton of people, don't preach on endurance. We don't like to hear that God calls us to persevere, that he doesn't want us to give up. That Jesus said that those who put their hand to the gospel plow and look back are not fit for service in his kingdom. I know I'm about to really make some of y'all mad. But that thing that happened, I don't know, a year ago where that famous athlete quit and everybody congratulated them for quitting and giving up was despicable to me. You quit because you didn't feel like it because the pressure ate you up. You know what? Life is full of difficulty and obstacle and pressures and all kinds of things. And perseverance honors the Lord. Endurance is what pleases God. We are not following our feelings. I wish I felt like a son to the Father every minute of every day of my life. Wouldn't that be something? I guess I'd be Jesus. But I'm in process, and I'm growing, and I know enough of the truth and have it laid down inside of my soul that quitting isn't an option. I feel like I'm talking to some people even this morning about your spiritual life, about your walk with God, that you don't get to play possum and roll over and be roadkill. You're a son and a daughter to the living God, purchased by the blood of Jesus, and he's calling you and equipping you this morning to put the armor of God back on and fight the good fight of faith, to contend and inherit the promises of God that are rightfully yours. We need a revelation of our inheritance so that we can see this rightfully belongs to me. It's mine. I'm taking it. No one is going to rob me of it. So if Jesus promised us eternal life and abundant life, and this is eternal life that you would know the Father and Jesus Christ whom he sent, John 17, 3, right now you can have abundant eternal life, and I'm not experiencing abundant life, then I need to get in fellowship and get back under the command of God. I need to come back under into agreement with the Lord if I'm being plagued or I'm being assailed or there's open doors to the enemy in my life. I need to shut all those doors. Are you with me? So God calls us to run the race and to endure and to persevere, not to quit and certainly not to celebrate quitting. Yeah. I love Barry Nichols. Some of you know him. He's been here to preach before he said, I'm not having a retirement party. I'm having a refirement party. He said, I'm never going to retire. I don't care where I work. I'm a Christian. I'm a man of God. I'm a teacher in the Lord's house. And I'm going to teach until the day I die. I want to run with people like that, don't you? Yeah. Verse 2. Would you say fixing our eyes on Jesus? 
Let's try again. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Where's Jesus? Far above. Seated at the Father's right hand. So Jesus isn't in a panic. Jesus isn't freaked out. Jesus isn't surprised. We had a professor in college that believed God didn't know the future. <laughs> Bible college, thank you. I'm supposed to be being trained and equipped for ministry by someone that doesn't believe God knows the future. I want a refund. <laughs> Fixing our eyes on Jesus who is seated far above. Far above our problems. Far above our pain. Far above the difficulty that's real, and I'm not invalidating it, but we've got to lift our gaze. You will lose heart if you focus on all that you lose. But if you look at what you gain, if you can capture and become fascinated with eternity, what happens temporarily in this life loses its hold on us. Take, for example, Jesus saying in the book of Acts, it's recorded that he said, it's more blessed to give than receive. In what world does that make sense? If I give Nathan $50, I have 50 less dollars, and Nathan has 50 more. I wish I had a 50 to give you, but I already gave it away. <laughs> How am I more blessed? Eternally. Because with the right set of eyes and the right heart, I'm sowing into eternity. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. It's better to have it in the life to come than to have it all right now, is what he said. Are you with me this morning? Yeah. I'm looking for us to contend and pull together because we have to get rid of the old wineskin and get a new wineskin before the Lord. I told you. The next few months are going to stretch this ministry like we've never been stretched before. It's going to be great and glorious. There's going to be great crushing and great blessing that comes. And this is just the start. We fix our eyes on Jesus. Why? Because he's the author and the perfecter of our faith. Because he's the beginning and the end of all things spiritual inside of us. He's the God-man Jesus who takes up residence in our hearts. Who wants to teach us what obedience and pleasing the Lord means. So he's the author and the perfecter of our faith. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross. There's that word endurance. Can you imagine if the Son of God came here to follow his feelings? And here he is presented with the cross and it says for the joy set before him he endured. So the biblical standard of endurance is joy. Oh, I'm feeling convicted now. Oh, Lord, I'm still showing up to work, but internally I'm grumbling and complaining, and I hate my job. Well, you might as well quit, because you've already quit internally. See, God is after the inward man and renewing what's inside of us and teaching us endurance. I'll quote Barry again, because he's had such an impact on my life. He would tell me, Paul, one of the things that most concerns me about your generation is that you steward poorly the mundane. The mundane of life. Listen, life a lot of times isn't super exciting. I hate to be a Debbie Downer. I'm just trying to keep it real. 
But life isn't always fireworks and sunshine and rainbows. Someone say amen to Rocky. Oh, it's difficult. Jesus promised in this life you'll have trouble. He said, you guys don't steward the mundane well. Everything has to be, I want it now. It has to happen in a flash. We want to get rich quickly rather than sow and be faithful one day after the other. You know how a house is built? Brick by brick by brick by brick. If you show up in the brick laying process, there's absolutely nothing exciting about it yet. You know when people show up, when the house gets painted, not when the foundation gets laid. But it's the foundation that determines the strength of every individual, every family, and every ministry. God is after the foundation of this work and who we are and what we believe. Will we fix our eyes on Jesus? Will we look to him? Are we willing to endure and persevere through difficulty because Jesus is worthy? Do we understand that here in America we're constantly being lulled to sleep? We're constantly being put at ease. Convenience and comfort are our gods. We are addicted to what brings us pleasure. Studies show that the attention span of adults is rapidly shrinking every year. We can go and watch a three-hour movie and obsess about it and wear costumes and talk about it for weeks on end. But if church is more than an hour, we're bored. Because we have an appetite problem. Because we crave things that entertain us rather than desiring the things that equip us and grow us up in God. God wants us to mature and grow up in Him where we endure the crosses of life like Jesus. Where we can endure them with joy because He's at work in us. Let's keep reading. Despising the shame, He made a mockery of the shame that wanted to swallow Him up. And He sat down, there He is again, at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 3. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you may what? So that you may not grow weary and lose heart. The next verse says you've not resisted yet to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. In other words, you haven't been crucified. You haven't gone to such lengths and heights and depths to be free in your own walk with the Lord the way that Jesus did. There's a greater offering of freedom this morning. I am calling by the Spirit of the Lord this morning. I am calling anyone in this assembly off of the fence and into abundant life in Jesus Christ. Listen to me. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. We've got to go after the leaven that's in our own hearts. Don't you dare look around this room. Let's look within before the Lord. Say, Father, search me. Let me see the complacency. Show me the apathy. Show me the indifference in my own life so that I can endure and persevere. Teach me how to fix my eyes on Jesus because it's a revelation of Jesus Christ in this hour that the church of the Lord desperately needs. 
We play games. We like entertainment. We go through the motions. We play church because our appetites are sick. And God wants to heal us and make us a truly hungry people for his presence and for his spirit. If you're hungry for more of the Lord, if you want to fix your eyes on him, I want to ask you to stand. And we're going to begin to worship here. I feel like there's a cleansing rain that God is going to send right now. Where he's going to come and wash away the old wineskin in our hearts. If you don't know what I'm talking about, Aaron Molesky prophesied that there was new wine that God was pouring out and that it was a new season. We took our shoes, we put them up on the stage as a prophetic act that we were leaving behind performance and we were pursuing his presence just like the Lord commanded Moses to take his shoes off when the bush was burning and God was speaking for he said, you're on holy ground. I believe this is a holy moment for us as a church right now that the Lord is inviting us to fix our eyes on Jesus. It's a new season. There's something new and something special and something higher that God is desiring for us. But he has to rid this room of the weariness. He has to drive out the complacency. Just begin to pray with me. Let's seek the Lord together. Just begin to engage God the Father as we lift our eyes together.